1930, an economist named John Maynard Keynes, he said that at some point in the future, we would inevitably work only 15 hours a week as Americans because of technological advances and that people would generally be bored out of their minds. That same year, 1930, an evolutionary biologist, Julian Huxley, he said, yeah, in the future, we're just going to have a two-day work week, five-day weekend. That's how it's going to be. Then 35 years later, 1965, there was a congressional subcommittee, and they spent quite a bit of time talking about the looming, now they changed it to 20, 20-hour 20 work week. And their main concern, one of their main concerns, was that people would be going on vacation so much, so many people, so often, because they'd only work 20 hours a week, that we would have to revamp the entire American infrastructure and road system. Now, fast forward 56 years after that, and this is by no means a scientific study, but check out this meme. For those of you who can't read it, uh, me trying to excel in career, maintain a social life, drink enough water, exercise, text everyone back, stay sane, survive, and be happy. And if you're not up on your old Disney movies, that is Cruella DeVille, who I think the best word to describe her in this image and always is crazed. Because she is, she's gripping the wheel and I, I don't know where this was originally posted, but there were comments under it. And wherever it gets reposted on the internet, people comment underneath, oh yeah, that's me. Oh, sounds like my life. All the time. So, so how did we get from 1930 and 1965? We're not going to have anything to do. Like technology is going to advance so far. And I don't know for sure, but I would guess that if the people in the 30s and Congress in the 60s saw the technology we have today, it would be even, even more advanced than they would have imagined. And yet, ain't no 15 or 20 hour work weeks around here. It's more this. And it's not just that, that we're busier. Um, it's, it's the stuff that comes with it, which, which this meme, I think, accurately portrays quite well. Um, you can fast forward. Uh, you could look at that all day and smile, but we're moving on. Uh, an author named David Zoll, he, he surmises this about busyness. He says, busyness remains attractive because it does double duty. It allows us to feel like we're advancing on the path of life while also distracting us from other less pleasant realities like doubt and uncertainty and death. Now this isn't true all the time, but when you ask someone, hey, how are you doing? It used to be kind of the, the rote answer would be, oh, fine, or good, which is not a real answer 99% of the time. But now, more often than not, the answer is busy. I've got a lot going on. I'm flying by the seat of my pants, all, all that type of thing. And this is what he's addressing. He's, he's surmising that we actually like this or we think that we do, and we aim for busyness. He says, when we move rapid fire from task to task, we theoretically minimize the mental space available for painful feelings. And at the same time, we accrue extra points in the 
enoughness column. So maybe he's saying we're crazed like Cruella, not because we have to be, but in a sinister sort of way by choice. Now, there were people in the ancient world who idolized and worshipped busyness as well. Um, and they were out to get Jesus and his disciples. And how they, how they idolized and worshipped busyness was that they actually turned rest into work. They turned rest into something to do. Listen to what happened in Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful, usually, only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to the Pharisees, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is God's word. Now, the Pharisees were thinking back to the days of Exodus 16, when, as I told you earlier, God started this whole Sabbath thing when he was giving manna from heaven and he said, hey, don't do any work on Saturday. There's not going to be any bread to pick up and prepare. I'm going to give you twice as much as you need on Friday. Prepare it all on Friday. Don't do any rest on Saturday. That is what they were thinking back to. And so, in a sense, good for them because they were, they were paying attention to God's law, which is by all metrics better than not paying attention. Problem was, first of all, that they took it too far. They took it too far. They acted as if this commandment could be fulfilled by doing absolutely zero work on Saturday. And they went overboard. What, what they said to the disciples would be like if I said to, to some of you or one of you, you know, you got here and maybe you didn't have time to eat breakfast, so you're kind of in a hurry and you walk in the door and you've got a granola bar that you just grabbed from the pantry and then you start opening up that granola bar and you start eating it and I say, whoa, 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 no, no, no. That is work and you can't do that here. That would be ludicrous and we would never do that. Because that's not even, even in the Old Testament, that wasn't the spirit of the Sabbath law, but that is what the Pharisees were saying. And then secondly, and this is the deeper point, they weren't really saying what they said in order to honor God and keep his laws. They were just looking for any possible way they could to nail Jesus and his disciples to the wall. So they said, how dare you? And Jesus responded in a, in a wonderful way. He, he set the record straight. He basically said, it's good on the Sabbath to do what is good. And then if you keep reading into Mark 3, he heals a guy's hand and then when they questioned him on that, because it was on the Sabbath, he says, if you had a sheep and it fell into a well on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you rescue your sheep? And everyone says, well, yeah. And he said, there you go. That is what I just did. It is good to do what is good on the Sabbath. And then he gives us this very wise line. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the point of the Sabbath, it, it wasn't 
just another rule for the sake of having another rule. God gave people the Sabbath, which means rest. He gave it to them for their benefit. And the point is not to be legalistic about it. Follow it, but don't be legalistic. And Pharisees, that's what you're doing. One commentator, he diagnosed the Pharisees in this way. He said, they saw God's law only as a means to serve yourself, to elevate yourself, and to make yourself righteous. The Pharisees had turned resting into work. To use the terminology we've used in this series, they were thinking of this commandment as a ladder by which if they rested in just the right way, then they could really climb the ladder and get closer to God. But in reality, this commandment is a wall that we can't keep, that keeps us, keeps us. They were, they were defining themselves by their own goodness instead of being defined by Jesus' goodness. So all that being said, the question is, what does this commandment mean for us? Does it mean that on Saturday you should do no work? Like, sure, you're allowed to prepare food, but you can't do anything for, like, employment or to make money or in your business or uh, no yard work outside, no tasks around the house, just rest and, you know, read the Bible all day. Is that what it means? Does it mean more generally that humans should definitely take one day, you know, maybe not Saturday, but we should take one day off of work every week and that it would be wrong if we didn't? Does it mean that? Does it mean for church that Sunday, eh, you know, we should really be gathering on Saturday because that's, that's the Sabbath day, at least it was in the Old Testament? And the answer to all three of those questions is no. It means none of those things. And you might think that's good news, but it's actually more difficult. The heart of the third commandment is this that we not get our rest, our fulfillment, our peace, our rest, that we not get our rest from our work. And that's impossible. The Huffington Post wrote a few years back about Americans. It said, in America, we are defined by what we do, by our work, by what we produce. It's if you're gathering together with someone and they say, oh, what do you do? You assume that they're talking about your work, your career, your job. Not like, what do you do for fun? What do you do when you're done with work? What do you do around the house? Where do you like to go on vacation? What do you do with your leisure time? No, no one ever asks about that. It's assumed that they're asking, what do you do? And what they're insinuating is what makes you valuable. Even secular researchers say, um, there's a righteousness attached to productivity and to busyness. If you're not producing or doing something, you're considered less than. And this shows up nationwide as America is the world leader by far in unused paid vacation days. We generally have fewer than other countries, but even then, people don't use them because of this. Because we're worried that if we're not producing, we're falling behind and we're less than, we don't feel we can afford to take a rest because what we do, our work, can often become who we are. There's a pastor from South Florida 
uh, I think near Miami. And a few years back, someone asked him on a Tuesday evening, hey, what'd you do today? And he had done a lot of work, done a lot of work, but in the afternoon, he took two hours, he took a rest, and he just went and sat on the beach. But when the person asked him, hey, what'd you do today? He told him all the other things, but he left out the fact that he just went and sat on the beach for two hours. Because he didn't feel, he didn't feel right about it. Even though it was a good thing to do, he didn't feel right saying, oh yeah, I also took a break for two hours and sat on the beach. He felt like, like he would get judged as less than it, and truth be told, if the words came out of his mouth, he felt guilty because he shouldn't have done that, even though there was nothing wrong with going and taking a rest. As Lutherans, we loudly and proudly proclaim the theological truth. Our works don't save us. Jesus saves us. But there's a commentator who would say, yeah, we embrace that theologically, but functionally? Functionally, practically, day to day, it's a different story. He said this, functionally, we are all guilty of grasping on to justification by work. What that means is we are constantly trying to justify and validate our existence by who we can become and what other people think of us. He says we get the acceptance we desire by doing certain things. Even though we don't believe it theologically, we would never say, yeah, our work makes us look good to God. Theologically, we'd never say that, but we embrace it functionally. The truth is that none of your work, not as an employee or an employer or a spouse or a friend or a neighbor or just as a person in general, none of what you do will bring you rest. Not true rest, not true fulfillment, not true peace. Never. Now, I'm not saying that work is bad. Work is good. Work is a blessing. And I'm not even going to touch on laziness today because that's a whole other subject. Um, laziness is bad. Work is good. But what we have to do is be able to be right here in the middle. What this means is do good things, have aspiration, but don't get your rest from doing those good things. Yeah, go out and achieve, but don't, don't be identified by what you do or what you want to do in the future. I, I'm going to say something that sounds crazy. I would love it if all of us had absolutely zero self-esteem. If at the end of the day, when you fell asleep at night, if 0% of what made you feel at rest and at peace and like it was a good day, if 0% of that were because of you. Like if you had a to-do list with 10 things and you accomplished eight of them and that's really good. And that is good. But don't let that be what makes you feel good and what, what gives your heart rest and peace. Or, or if, you, if you accomplish everything you set out to accomplish in a given day, if you loved really well and you were unselfish, great, that is a good thing. But don't feel good about it. And here's why. Because not every day is a good day. You might get 8 out of 10 one day and feel good. And then the next day, you get 4 out of 10. 
or you get zero out of 10. And then you plummet into the depths. Now, if you were perfect every day, then by all means, get your rest from what you do. Jesus can do that. He perfectly, every single day, kept all the laws. He perfectly did the Sabbath. He perfectly worked. He perfectly rested. And he had a perfect attitude about it. Jesus can find rest in himself any day for all eternity. But you and I, we would be fools if we think we can ever find rest and peace and fulfillment in our work or in our busyness or from what the schedule of the day looks like and how many things we checked off our to-do list. I'll say it again, even though it sounds crazy. Don't feel good about yourself. Because to the extent that you feel good about yourself after the end of a day, to that extent, you will also inevitably end up feeling horrible about yourself because you can't live up to the standard every day. And then, <laughs> and then what it does is on top of uh, clinical depression and anxiety caused by hormones and other things, on top of that, we pile on ourselves depression, anxiety, other horrible thoughts because we tried to find rest in ourselves and we inevitably fail. Some of you are probably thinking, really, Pastor? Don't feel good about myself? Won't I just be, won't I just be sad and broken all the time if I, if I don't fall asleep at night thinking I did a good job? Well, here's the truth. The answer is way better. Because when you have good days and you feel good about yourself, great. But when you have bad days and you feel bad about yourself, then you tell yourself the lie that because you had a bad day, you are bad and not worth anything and not valuable at all. But God tells you the actual truth. He says, on your best day or your worst day, you could not be any more valuable. You could not be any more whole. Your heart could not be at more peace. You could not have more rest. Not because you did or didn't do certain things, but because Jesus did every single thing for you. He perfectly rested, perfectly worked. As I said, he perfectly kept all the commandments. He scaled the wall of the commandments to come to you. And he gives you his record. So don't feel good about yourself. Feel good about the fact that Jesus loves you and gave you his perfection. And no matter how the day was, God sees you as perfect. And that is true rest. It sets you free. It sets you free. Uh, you're not living for security in order to get security. You're living from a place of security because you're secure with God. You're not living for love in order to get love. You're coming from a place of love because God already loves you. You're not living for acceptance, whether that's you accepting yourself or someone else accepting you. You're living from a place of acceptance because God already accepts you without any work on your part at all. Jesus did all the work. And that truth 
sets you free to just live and enjoy it all. Enjoy the relationships without anything to prove to anybody. Enjoy the work that God has set before you to do and enjoy the rest that he gives you as well. The physical rest and especially the spiritual rest that goes all the way down to your souls. Now, it may occur to you right now that it seems like I'm talking about rest as something that we go out and get. Act this way, think this way, have the proper attitude about it, and then you'll have rest. And let me set the record straight. You can't do it. You can't get it. Rest is given to you. And let me drop two passages on your lap. And yesterday, when this all finally came together, I just smiled with joy and glee because it is so good. Two passages, they're not up on the screen. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's great, but there's more. Hebrews 4 says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And you know what comes after that? It says, for the word of God is alive and active. There's the connection between Sabbath day and worship, between Sabbath rest and being in God's word. God's word is not something that's just sitting there passively and you go and consume it or you come here and you study it and learn it. No, God's word is alive and active. It is what actively works in you and gives your heart rest day in and day out. You were not made for the Sabbath. Hebrews 4 is alluding to the fact that Jesus is your true Sabbath. Jesus is your rest. You didn't have to scale the wall to get to the Sabbath. No, the Sabbath rest in the person of Jesus, it came down to earth to be yours. So, should you take a whole day off of work a week? Maybe. Maybe not. There's nothing wrong with working seven days a week. Should you, should you regularly be in God's word? Yeah, but don't think of it as a should. Think of it as you get to. Because the word of God is alive and active, proclaiming, putting rest and fulfillment and peace all the way into your soul. Something that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you and I, we could never, ever get it on our own. So live free, live at peace, Live at rest, because that's what Jesus gives. Amen. Allow me to pray on behalf of all of us. Dear Jesus, it's, it's our natural way, um, not just to do work, but to strive to make our lives complete by doing that work and to base our worth and our existence on how well we do that work, whether it's a job or simply the work of being a human being in the 21st century. There is work to do in your kingdom, certainly. But thank you that our compensation is not tied to our productivity. Our compensation 
is something you simply give out of your mercy and grace. So let us embrace the work that you give us to do, the work that we all get to do in all areas of life. Let us embrace it and do it with joy. But let us never let our work become who we are and let us never try to justify or validate our existence or who we are by the work that we do. Let us find our greatest value and identity in you, the one who worked for us and took away all our guilt and replaced our guilt with your perfect record of work and rest. Use your word to be living and active and push that truth deep down into our hearts. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.